Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Coast to Coast Podcast. My name is Kyle. And I'm Misha. And today we're going to be talking about Riot Games' Valorant, which is in its alpha at the moment. We're also going to be talking about Call of Duty's release of their new Battle Royale mode, Warzone. We're also going to be talking about a couple movies that Kyle and I both saw separately this weekend. Um, the Way Back, starring Ben Affleck, and Pixar's new release of Onward. Uh, but before we get into that, how you been, Kyle? Pretty good. Um, we released um, some stuff on our social media. If you don't follow us there, please do. But we wanted to initially just kind of thank everyone for the support that we've had. We've we've posted um, fifteen episodes um, for the or sorry, well, fifteen episodes. Misha and I have done there was some other bonus ones in there but we've officially passed 2,000 listens so um, that's a pretty big milestone for us you know just kind of starting off doing this for fun and then kind of certainly growing over the past few months it's been it's been really cool to see that yeah it's uh it's definitely validating in a way and just feels cool to know that people are listening um I don't listen too much because I hate the sound of my own voice. <laughs> um, just kind of a little dynamic for myself, but it, yeah, it's cool to know that people are out there listening and that, um, you know, you guys uh, want to listen to what you have to say. Um, yeah. But looking forward to many more thousands of listens. <laughs> yes. Hopefully. Yes. And definitely the best way I know um, we say this all the time, but definitely share with people that seems to be the, best way that people are finding out that that i've seen whether it's on facebook or on your instagram or or whatever just people saying oh someone so and so shared this with me and i thought it was cool and i guess we're cool yeah so we appreciate that that's definitely how you get the word out um and definitely want you know more ears more more of a engaging audience so we appreciate what you've done so far but let's keep it going yeah, and before we get into it, uh, just a quick word um, from our sponsor. All right, welcome back. So ever since last fall, um, there's been this anticipation that's kind of been building around Riot Games' new free-to-play first-person shooter, um, then titled Project A, but as we now know, closer to um, supposed release date, that is called Valorant. So this has been labeled as coming out this summer there's been a lot of different uh, videos kind of demonstrating gameplay and a lot of different things being um, shown online so kind of initial observations what do you think of of Valorant so far um I mean I'm a little I wouldn't say skeptical I just kind of want to I don't feel like enough has been released to really form a solid opinion about it um you know, a lot of the footage we've seen has just been like developer tests that, from my understanding, are from 2019. Um, but the gameplay looks really interesting. It's kind of been compared it, it, as like sort of this amalgamation of a bunch of different popular games. So it's got kind of the bomb uh, planting and defuse dynamic that Counter-Strike has made really popular. Um, and it's also got this sort of cartoonish and abilities driven gameplay that has made overwatch really um popular as well um so i'm interested to see how those two mesh together and you know the game doesn't look super pleasing to the eye just because it's you know in such early stages of its development but um i i think 
you know, this is probably what we're going to be seeing a lot of in the near future is just sort of this combination of a lot of people's different, like, favorite aspects of the games they play. Right. And through everything that we've seen, I have, I still have a few lingering questions. Uh, one of them mm-hmm. being, um, are there other modes? Um, so, like, right. we saw the search and destroy mode that you mentioned, but, you know, will there be a team deathmatch or capture the flag and, um, or even like some of the escort style maps that made Overwatch or, you know, in competitive modes that way, like taking yeah. over a ship and escorting it along a path. Yeah, because on the um, Valorant website, there there's a brief description that reads, each agent brings a unique set of tactical abilities they can use to gather information, fortify locations, scout for enemy intel, breach sites, control territories, and more. So that definitely seems like multiple modes. Yeah, it and as far as we know right now, there are eight heroes that they've they're going to basically starting the game with, and um, each of them sort of come with their own different abilities, much like in Overwatch. Um, you know, they're more like aggressive attack style heroes, or some that are more defensive, or even even some that are more like reconnaissance based. So there's this hero called Cipher. Um, that I know Shroud recently in one of his videos where he was kind of reviewing early gameplay kind of puts together a lot of like Rainbow Six Siege elements mm-hmm. and being able to like gather intel through cameras or tripwires or things like that. So again, just seems like a lot of sort of borrowing and reshaping popular elements from a lot of the, you know, FPSs and um, kind of character style games that people have uh, made really popular. And it is free to play. So do you think in terms of like monetization that they'll probably just come out with battle passes and skins and do you think they'll have anything more than that like do you think that you could maybe have more powerful weapons that you could like purchase not like a pay to win because no one ever likes that but something else yeah i mean it seems like it's gonna be mostly cosmetic stuff like you said battle pass skins or um you know things that you you went through a battle pass that aren't going to affect the actual gameplay I don't know if you, in terms of like the the actual gameplay of the game, have you seen from the gameplay trailer what like the buy menu looks like and what the different abilities look like? Yeah, I've seen a few of those. Because mm-hmm. the buy menu seems it's very much like CS:GO. It's got like different four different pistols. You know, there's like a silence pistol and like a deagle mm-hmm. kind of comparable pistol. There's you know there's basically like a scout like you'd find in Counter Strike and an op. Um, so I, I feel like that dynamic will be very much the same, but, um, you know, if you're really comparing it against Counter-Strike, it doesn't seem like you necessarily like start out with utility. Some of the things that you use to like screen people's vision or like impair people momentarily are more character abilities rather than utility that you can buy. Like you wouldn't Counter-Strike like a flash or a smoke grenade. I think with it being Riot that they probably will just kind of go off with the same system that they have for League of Legends, which is just essentially skins. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, they have a very vast library of characters that you can choose from, mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem like, like you said, this game it doesn't really, your character doesn't really matter as much as the abilities you buy in the game. Like your character is yeah. just essentially just a skin. Right. Well, so yeah, and I guess you know people will probably find metas in terms of like the combination of your or like what you would typically hear frequently called like a comp. 
um, like how you're going to stack your team attacking or defending a site, you know, there's probably going to be, that's going to be getting figured out. But so you mentioned League of Legends and that's something that I'm not really familiar with. Are there any similarities between what you've seen that we've gotten previews of the gameplay between like Valorant and League of Legends? In terms of like an aesthetic or like actual gameplay or both, I guess. So, um, gameplay, they might, so some of the abilities they might pull from maybe a League of Legends character, um, that you could purchase in the game, but from an actual like mechanics based League of Legends is a top down, more MOBA style, um, where Valorant being FPS, like it doesn't seem like the characters themselves are super important where it's just going to be. You buy skins, you can, sometimes they don't have all the characters unlocked. So for example, League of Legends has like 40 plus characters to choose from. Okay. Um, and like Apex, you have to purchase them, unlike Overwatch where they're free. So mm -hmm. some money can come from you buying characters to have them unlocked. But again, with with character just being skins, I don't know if that's the direction they're going. So it might just be battle passes and and gun skins. But but in the in the trailers that we've seen, the characters are different. There's different skins for the characters. It's not like Counter Strike where everyone looks the same. Yeah, no, I, I definitely like that. And then you know that gives you kind of an expectation of what you're going to go up against in a match. Mm -hmm. You know, if you gain some intel, I wonder if that's going to be clear from the start of certain rounds or depending on which um, abilities you buy that changes your character's skin sure yeah yeah but like if you start around like are you going to know what the enemy's going to be bringing in terms of their you know character specific abilities or even ultimate abilities or is it something that's like because I, I feel like a big part of csgo which people are making the most comparisons against this game for um is gaining like intel like when you start around you don't really know what kind of guns the other team has or um what utility they bought and a big part of the game is like being able to you know establish a line of sight between you and the enemy yeah. um league so and that, overwatch. that will also be an interesting dynamic league overwatch and, I, and, and even um rainbow six siege it's very transparent like you see mm -hmm. the other team's loadouts before the before the round starts and you kind of like you said build your comm based off of the enemy team right um so that'll be interesting to yeah see. do you know when this uh free-to-play valorant's going to be released the the release date is they just said summer of 2020 and there was supposed to be an event a riot event um actually this mm -hmm. weekend but it was canceled due to the craziness of like the coronavirus going around yeah um so people were expecting there to be this event this weekend and then immediately following the event, like a closed slash open beta. But with that event being canceled, we may not probably see the beta maybe until April or May. Because sure. to me, June is summertime. So they're going to want to push a, a beta out fairly earlier than the actual release just to kind of work out those right. bugs. Yeah, definitely. And then, and I, I guess mm -hmm. that that's kind of a good segue into i guess they, they've also kind of positioned themselves as like very gamer friendly mm -hmm. um i don't know if you've seen this in kind of headlines but they've made a lot of commitments about um you know only using 128 tick servers 
making certain like minimum FPS requirements and um, making sure they have uh, servers in more places and closer together. Um, and it's an interesting position to take because I feel like a lot of games rely on their gameplay. But um, for me, the difference between like Counter-Strike MM servers and like say like a Face It server is kind of obnoxious because the gameplay is so different. You know, the way you line up smokes right. or flashes or you know, whatever it may be, just even the speed of the gameplay, um, it, it's different between the two platforms. So I think that's cool they're taking that stand as well. And I guess the last question that we might want to address is, will this become an eSport? Sure. I mean, my initial opinion is just due to the hype and it's gameplay that's comparable to a lot of other you know, popular esports uh, features is that it's going to be like a yes. Um, the one thing that I think is going to be a struggle is like people are going to have to adapt to the like adopt the game basically. Um, you know, it has a lot of different elements that are popular from all these other games, but it's going to take people a while. Like even just watching like, the gameplay trailer, it's hard to understand exactly what's going on with some of the ultimate abilities. Yeah. Um, so until people have those reference points, I feel like it'll be a little hard to adopt. Yeah, and and I think it would, just coming from Riot, who, with League of Legends, you know, hosts the lar- mm-hmm. one of the largest esports tournaments ever. True. Um, but I guess just the question of where, where the player base will pull from. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a lot of pro players, or even a lot of like content creators and streamers that are excited for this game. Some that play Overwatch, some that play CS. And I was like, if they are being pulled from those games to play competitively in Valorant, then that kind of mm-hmm. throws kind of this wrench into the cog yeah. of like what esports is. No, I see what you're saying. Just it being mm-hmm. a new game, it's going to have to establish a core of popular players who are going to you know garner some good right. like public opinion around it I, I think if i could make a comparison it's almost like the xfl trying to like sign a landry jones who spent a couple years in the nfl as like exactly. sort of a notable start uh, backup quarterback you know maybe we'll see some like lower tier competitive cs players or overwatch players you know really break into the competitive scene here and then even from a, a fan's perspective will this game be enough for fans to add you know another game to their watch list or will they just kind sure. of like well I'm, I'm no longer going to watch the cod world league or i'm not going to watch any mm-hmm. esl majors anymore because i'm focused on valorant so it's going to be interesting from a viewing perspective as well sure yeah you're definitely competing for people's attention but i think people are always looking for something fresh mm-hmm. yeah for sure and speaking of fresh new things that are coming out in the world of gaming yes. Um, to me, so it, it feels like ages ago that mm-hmm. Call of Duty was, you know, like the top game in the world. You know, they had, I used to get so excited for like these midnight releases. Yeah. Um, they had like these really crazy like campaigns. They still do, but, and these like massive multiplayer experiences that often made Call of Duty what it, what it was and what we grew up playing. And nowadays you have kind of this field being crowded by like Fortnite and apex and even counter-strike but um that certainly hasn't stopped call of duty and activision from 
keeping the series fresh and innovative. So today they actually released that their new Battle Royale mode, Warzone, will be coming out tomorrow, March 10th at 8 a.m. if you have the game Pacific Time or 10 a.m. if you're a new player. But are you excited for this? Are you going to be installing this? And kind of, I know we kind of got away from Call of Duty in the past few months as gamers, but do you think you're going to give it maybe another shot? Yeah, I think mainly because it's BR, you know, not necessarily like a new season where you play a new map a couple of times and you're kind of over it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not excited for the huge download, which I'm anticipating it's going to be. Um, yeah. But the thing that's really drawing me into it is the changes they've made to BR, especially since like Blackout. Um, so I think it was you that was saying that the map is like two and a half times bigger than uh, the Blackout map? Uh, four times. Four times the size of Blackout. So mm-hmm. it's a huge map. It's going to be 150 players per lobby with three-person squads, uh, a bit like Apex. Um, but yeah, just looking at the map, it it looks like it's going to be a bit of an investment. I don't know. They're, they're definitely going to have to make vehicles and stuff like that more accessible for people to get around the map in a way that doesn't feel like PUBG. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I'm I'm excited. How about you? Yeah, so I I've always kind of enjoyed battle royale games. I've kind of every time I play them, I'm saying, man, they sh- could have done something this way or done something this way. For me, Blackout's biggest issue, and I think Activision recognized it, was the inventory management, and that's mm. such a big thing in any battle royale game that you're playing. Is you want to spend time looting and and killing and being the last person alive. You don't want to have to sit in the corner and like organize your inventory um, where they've kind of announced that ammo will be automatically picked up for you. Attachments will automatically be attached to guns that you're using similar to how it was in ring of Elysium. When we played that kind of early on, things were just a little bit more faster pace. And I think with a map that's four times blackout with over 300 points of interest, you certainly need a faster pace um, because no one's going to want to play this game if each battle royale map, you know, is going to take 45 minutes to play. Sure. So the zone needs to come in quick. Um, drop locations need to be fast from, you know, I know blackout, you drop pretty quickly, but like PUBG, for example, with that, with that parachute, I feel like you're dropping forever to finally land on the ground. But, hmm. um, yeah, I think it'll be good. Yeah, it should be fun. And they've also added a new dynamic uh, by incorporating some like cash-based um, sort of like modes within the battle royale, where essentially like players can sign up for contracts and complete these sort of small missions in the battle royale, like Warzone mode, um, for this sort of in-game economy. Um, and it's kind of unclear, you know, what that money is going to be used for. I'd assume some sorts of you know like the same sort of skins and uh you know aesthetic things like that we've we're talking about with valorant and um fortnite and things like that but that that'll be interesting and then the map itself looks interesting it looks like there's a lot of like evenly distributed large locations right Uh, you know that's the one thing i don't like about about battle royales are these sort of like dead zones where you're not going to get loot and you don't really want to get caught out in the open yeah if somebody does have loot so you know they, they've kind of pieced together 
the different ground war maps that they've come out with um, and, and made kind of made those sections of the map and then seemingly added some new areas that are going to be fun to explore. Yeah, so this map, it's labeled Verdansk, which is essentially, if you've played any of the like co-op missions, we've, we've done a few of them. Um, it's like, it's pretty much that map. So we've, when we were in the, in the, um, airport doing that one co-op mission, like that same location is in this battle royale mode. So if you've played Call of Duty Modern Warfare, you've played in the battle royale map. It's all just going to be pieced together like a big puzzle. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah. like you said, so we'll have like Arkloff Peak, Karsh Mm -hmm. River Quarry, um, the like downtown Tavorsk city, Mm -hmm. Atlas Superstore, which is a uh, new like multiplayer map that got released in season two that's going to be implemented into it. So and there will be some familiar areas. Yeah, and Warzone, if we didn't make it clear earlier, it isn't actually part of Call of Duty Modern Warfare. You don't need to own Modern Warfare to play it. Um, it is free, so you can just tomorrow, March 10th, go into your Steam, Xbox, or PlayStation store and just download it for free. Um, so, I mean, so far, at least the only benefit to owning Modern Warfare is that four hour early access that you get tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's entirely possible that there will be other benefits for MW owners. And, you know, we'll certainly update you if we find those things out. But again, it's free to play. Um, and I think if you don't own Modern Warfare, the downloads between 80 and 100 gigabytes. So, clear clear your hard drive if you haven't done so already and try to get start the download as soon as possible <laughs> yeah and it and warzone will be cross-play enabled just like modern nice. warfare so if you have friends on pc you can play with them if you're on ps4 xbox everything um it is going to be input based meaning you'll go up against gamepad players or mouse mm. and keyboard players regardless of the platform but same in modern warfare you will be able to opt out of cross play if you don't want to play against mouse and keyboard players then you don't have to um and the last thing that activision has said was they they did decide to go with three man teams traditionally battle battle royale games are four man squads um they are just going to try that out for now. They kind of mentioned that they could either have gone with 25 teams of four or 50 teams of three. And they kind of wanted to choose the larger number um, mm-hmm. and have a bigger impact on your gameplay. Yeah. So a fresh new entry into the battle Royale arena, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> and we're looking forward to starting to play tomorrow. Yep, so let us know how it is. Um, Until then, we are going to dive into some cinema. So did you want to kind of – you saw Onward this weekend. I saw The Way Back. Um, Yeah, do you want to start with The Way Back? Yeah, so for me – so The Way Back is the newest film with Ben Affleck. He is playing – this blue collar drug alcohol addicted underclassman who 
is going through some sort of issue and he finds kind of an output or outlet, I guess you would say, mm -hmm. um, in basketball coaching his former high school's team. Um, I, I really was surprised by this movie and by his acting. I think um, juxtaposed against each other, the film was not that great, but his acting was really great. Mm -hmm. So the last thing I saw Ben Affleck in was Batman vs Superman Dawn of Justice <laughs> and that was really bad um, so I think him switching from Bruce Wayne to kind of this emotional somewhat relatable character for some people kind of definitely opened up his sensitive side plus this movie also kind of reflects his own struggle with mm -hmm. alcohol and having sort of these inner demons inside of him um but did, did you find that like the storytelling was original enough in what tends to be a sort of formulaic genre so this movie it's it seems like it's being advertised as a, another basketball movie and that's honestly mm -hmm. what i thought and after seeing this i wouldn't even call it a basketball movie at all um so there was there's not a lot of that like tropey basketball movie elements like you don't have like too much of like disrespectful mm -hmm. teenagers they rebel against the coach he becomes a hard ass they like him they win every game that's mm -hmm. not kind of how it goes um most of the games they play they they did not win you don't see the end they don't really I think they make it to the playoffs, but they don't even show anything after that. Um, hmm. It's more yeah. about him, and he just happens to be a basketball coach for most of the movie. Interesting. And so I think most listeners know your thoughts about child actors. Um, <laughs> yeah. Did you feel like the child or, I guess, teenage acting was redeeming enough to you know, not piss you off? <laughs> um, no, I think the... I think that the the teenagers that were on the basketball team, I mm -hmm. I think they were definitely better basketball players than they were actors, which isn't saying much because they're not the best basketball team either. <laughs> but again, it it kind of there for where they lacked Ben Affleck certainly kind of took over and kind of filled in that gap. Um, sure. However, the movie the main problem I had was that the the story was very unconvincing to me it was like this redemption drama i guess um but it just it was kind of sluggish um i mean for example it takes them a full hour the movie's only an hour 40 minutes right. it takes them about an hour to actually reveal the tragedy that, that kind of drove jack it's the character's name ben affleck's character it takes them an hour to reveal this tragedy that drove Jack to like his despair that he's living. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, the film, it kind of sluggishly like builds to like moments that Jack's like dealing with and how he's like torturing himself throughout the movie. And yeah, it kind of like, you're just kind of waiting for things to happen. And when they do happen, I don't think the highs were high enough to really have an impact on me emotionally. And I don't think the lows were low enough for me to be invested in his character. 
Sure. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, despite that, it seems like it's getting pretty solid reviews from a lot of critics. Um, the box office numbers haven't been too great, although I think the box office as a whole has kind of been struck hard by this coronavirus thing, which um, I don't know how it's affecting you out there, but it's definitely pretty prevalent out here in San Francisco. Yeah, and I kind of tying into um, another movie that we both really enjoyed was mm-hmm. The Joker, and that was that movie was about the worst in us through you know Joaquin Phoenix's sciatic um, psychotic clown kind mm-hmm. of character. Well, while Jack's story in the way back, it should search for kind of the best in us, and hmm. it kind of. Jack, like he gives in, like he's at this bar, Harold's place, and he gives in, he gives into his weaknesses at Harold's place, um, his like, he calls it his substitute church. It's pretty hmm. much an institution where he drinks and and jokes amongst like other locals, but right. Um, it's just it's seems, probably something that a lot of people can uh, sort of relate to. Yeah, and then there was like this like kindly old man who like ushers him home every night and saying he did the same thing for Jack's father, which like suggests like this fragmented subplot that no one mm-hmm. really cares about. And even when Jack like is coaching, he just doesn't really seem present. And again, it's just not, it was hard for me to watch from that sure. from like an emotional aspect if i already sure. just tear all the emotions away and just kind of watch this and kind of hang out then it was fine but for what it was trying to put forward wasn't exactly it didn't land it didn't land well enough sure so would you uh would you recommend this to view it to uh listeners i think if you're a ben affleck fan you'll probably really enjoy this movie um again it's one of his better acting things that he's done in a while and so i enjoyed that i i mean i like the game of basketball so you have some of those emotional scenes that kind of basketball movies kind of rely on um but i think this movie i think if you're gonna look for a movie just like the way back i would probably stick with a friday night lights or a remember the titans Sure. And I think you'll get a lot more value out of those movies than you would this one. Yeah, but this definitely seems like a solid change of pace given some of his more recent performances. Like you said, last one you saw him in was Batman versus Superman. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Like so I think story. otherwise, um I would say that Joker's nihilism prevails going up against this movie. Man, that's a dark uh it's a dark message to be sending. <laughs> But for Onward, I mean, kind of the other side of the coin, you had this joyful movie, I think. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, like you said, Onward, you know, I wouldn't expect Pixar's movies to really broadcast any messages of nihilism or, <laughs> you know, like the bleak nature of humanity. Um, but, yeah, this one was really enjoyable. Actually, the the kind of the experience of watching it was really great, too, because I recently moved... Um, as I think I alluded to in previous episodes up to San Francisco, 
And so with a new house comes the need to find a new movie theater. And uh, we actually are really close to the Alamo Draft House in the Mission District in San Francisco, which is actually like a really famous theater where they like they serve you food and drinks and stuff like that. And the, the actual screening room is humongous. So it was a really interesting experience. Um, but Onward, it basically tells the story of this sort of mythical world where, you know, magic is real and goblins and trolls and all sorts of other mythical creatures kind of walk the earth. Um, but then they introduce this dynamic of this sort of magical world discovering electricity, um, sort of this like analogy for um, like human invention and like the progression of technology. And then you kind of see this flash forward to what is sort of like a modern day mythical world where people are driving in cars and living in houses and things like that. So I thought the, the setting was really interesting and it was just a really cool idea to kind of mesh those two worlds together. Um, but the story itself is really about these two brothers whose dad um, is basically has been dead for as long as the younger brother's been alive. And on his 16th birthday, the dad leaves them this like wizard staff um, that with this spell that would like help them resurrect their dad for 24 hours, but they only end up resurrecting half of them. And this isn't a spoiler, you know, it's, it's in the trailer. Um, and then they spend, you know, basically the, the length of the movie trying to find a way to bring their entire dad back before the 24 hours is up. Um, but I, I found this one to be really heartwarming and was able to really relate with the movie as well, because the story ends up being more about the two brothers relationships than their relationship to their dad. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I found it relatable if, you know, we're okay with me kind of going off on a bit of a tangent here in that my dad, you know, from when 9-11 happened until I graduated high school, my dad was actively deployed overseas for like, it was like eight out of the, those like 11 years. Um, and so I spent a majority of my childhood without a father figure. Of course he wasn't, you know, he hadn't passed away. That would have been totally different, but you know, I had my older brother there to kind of teach me certain lessons and kind of act as that father figure for me. And um, in the same way that Frozen, which wasn't Pixar, but was Disney, tells the story of, you know, this idea that true love can be, to be between like sisters, this sort of sisterly sibling story. This kind of tells the other side of the coin, um, you know, how two brothers can relate to each other and, and lean on each other um, as they try to figure out life in their younger years. So I thought it was it was really great, um, and you know it, it's part of that Pixar canon that you you just can't afford not to see. So I, I definitely recommend it, whether it's with kids or you know it was me and me and Shannon and another couple went to this one. So I, I really enjoyed it. And the the voice actors were Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. Yeah, so. Tom Holland voices the younger brother Ian, and Chris Pla Chris Pratt plays this older brother Barley, who's kind of obsessed with what you could probably compare to like a Dungeons and Dragons game, and is kind of into this like mythical. It's kind of meta in that he's like into these like mythical fantasy games and stuff in this fantasy universe. So, hmm. um, I thought those two 
you know, played off each other really well. Um, and, and yeah, the, the cast of characters, like in the end credits, I think is about eight or nine characters. So it really isolates the two of them in, in storytelling. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's, so um, would you say that it was, um, I kind of lost my train of thought, but it was pretty <laughs> much like, you know, traditional Pixar movies I know kind of have those undertones where you said it's kind of like the bond between brothers versus mm-hmm. maybe their parents. Was there any other um, like themes that you noticed in the movie? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess you see sort of ancillary characters like um, this Manticore character who, you know, the mythical telling of the Manticore is it's this like um, sort of like the body of a lion, the wings of like an eagle and the tail of a scorpion. And it's supposed to be this like, you know, ruthless, violent creature. And in, you know, the modern day mythical universe, she like runs sort of a Chuck E. Cheese like establishment. Um, so I guess it's sort of a message about maybe the progression of technology, the advancement of civilization, meaning that people sort of lose sight of the, the things that in their very nature, you know, they were sort of destined to become. I thought that was kind of a, a cool sort of ancillary story. Um, but yeah, really, really about, you know, despite, you know, any brother is going to have differences. I know you have a younger brother. Um, and sometimes you might say like hurtful things or, you know, come to like resent them for certain things. But at the end of the day, they probably know you better than most people. And, um, you know, at, you know, are almost even more than brothers in a way. So I thought the brotherly dynamic was super strong. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really funny too. Uh, I think Chris Pratt, you know, naturally they picked a good, um, voice actor for, to inject a little comedy into the into the storytelling, but um, I definitely recommend it. Well, good. I'll probably yeah. end up go seeing that um, if not this weekend, maybe sometime next week, or maybe I'll I'll find a day during the week to go see it because I I planned on seeing it on um, on Sunday, and I, I unfortunately didn't have that option. Sure. Yeah, and like it, I might be a little biased because of you know, how much I felt like the story related to my own life story. Um, But it's probably not the best Pixar movie that's, you know, in the litany of Pixar movies. Um, But definitely, you know, stands up against all those other great ones that we've come to love. How was it um, from, like, just looking at it? I know, like, one of the most probably gorgeous, like, Pixar films was Coco for me Mm -hmm. like was there um i think i saw something about the this film had a new production crew um so was there was it nice to look at it was like i know sometimes facial animations could sometimes get a little wonky like was it just a good movie to look at in general yeah no i I found it to be pretty aesthetically pleasing um you know like like i said that sort of mesh between the mythical universe and what we would kind of understand as like modern day America's probably the closest thing I'd compare it to. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting. You know, I think what Pixar does really well is they take these really imaginative ideas for like a setting, um, you know, like what would um, the underworld look like in Coco or um, 
what would it look like if we took this fantasy world and combined it into like modern day America? And then they like they find little tiny details um, that that make you know they make sense and they're really like funny and ironic. Uh, you know, like sort of like a snake like character running a pawn shop and onward. <laughs> um, so I, I thought it was really aesthetically pleasing, and they they really thought through a lot of the dynamics of uh, you know what this world would really be like. Cool, cool. And I've I've had my fair share of actually participating in some D and D campaigns, so mm-hmm. I think it might be kind of cool to see this kind of in action. Yeah, it's funny. There's definitely a lot of elements that you'll probably recognize that are sort of fantasy, um, like typical fantasy fair. Well, good. Yeah. So the way back and onward, definitely check those out in theaters now. Um, but cool. So we have two pieces of reader mail that we're going to address this episode again thanks for um, sending these again you can always send them on anchor um, anchor.fm slash coast podcast or on twitter at c2c podcasting um, so the first one is from lauren and she sends to us saying do you have any good recommendations for relaxing shows this week has been very stressful Everyone is freaking out about the election and the coronavirus. I would like mm-hmm. to watch a nice, calm show that will not make me anxious. You both seem like some people. Some you both seem like someone who can help with this. Uh, I can't, Lauren. I can't help with your grammar, but we can certainly help you <laughs> with uh, finding a relaxing show. Um, yeah, I, I don't blame you, Lauren, in kind of the current social and political climate for looking for something that. Um, might have the opposite effect of what most TV shows strive for these days. Uh, you know, I feel like there's a lot of like high strung dramas and action stories that can be very stressful. So um, I definitely don't blame you, but do you, do you have some favorites that you turn to Kyle? Um, so the first thing that came to my mind was food shows. Yeah. Uh, I think just generally, um, Although Netflix has some good ones too. Um, I think they have like the Taco Chronicles and British Baking Show. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one on there actually called Breakfast, Lunch, Dinner. Um, yeah. There's an episode where the main character or the, the host, I guess, and Seth Rogen, they pretty much just like bang around like Vancouver <laughs> for a day, just like eating and smoking weed and, and eating and, and smoking weed. And it's kind of a funny show. But yeah. Um, that was the first thing that came to my mind. Another thing would just be maybe like, I know a lot of people like maybe like the office or <laughs> friends or Shit's Creek, pretty much basically any show that narrows its scope to focus on people doing real things with each other instead of people, like you said, facing these dramatic catastrophic threats about the world ending. Sure. Yeah. And I guess if I was to kind of, strive for a bit of the opposite something that does sort of have these storytelling devices the one that really comes to mind for me is the good place um when i first stumbled upon the good place i was watching a lot of like really heavy shows like you know whether it was like game of thrones or um i think i was watching like the bodyguard at the time um with richard madden and the good place is always just it, it really endeared itself to me because it was one of those shows that you could a just pick up and watch um, but B never like took itself too seriously and was extremely funny without having to be totally irreverent or use a lot of like profanity or crude humor. Um, and it was just a kind of a chill show to watch. 
Um, but then of course, like you were saying, Kyle, there's like the standard ones. I think like chill with Bob Ross is on Netflix. Now you can watch the Afro man paint his mm -hmm. landscapes, you know? Um, so I would definitely recommend some of those. Oh, and one that I've started watching recently is uh, Lego Masters, which I think is on ABC. Oh yeah. Um, but it's it's sort of that same like competitive, almost like a competitive cooking show, or you know something similar where these groups of duos are tasked with putting together these like imaginative lego creations under certain themes um and while there's a bit of like time pressure and stuff like that it's just you know there's something about piecing things together or watching people piece things together that's really cathartic and mm -hmm. um, i find really relaxing yeah so hopefully that helped i i would also recommend you know maybe slamming your computer shut or putting your phone down and mm. reading a book you know or going outside i think that's nice too um, yeah finish absolutely. that's very yeah. well said finish listening to this podcast first though um, yeah. and then put your phone down or close your and computer share us and leave us a review yeah and i i think there's also um i think there's a show coming out about a dog becoming mayor sometime soon so that could be cool too um we'll add to the list <laughs> yeah um and then our last piece of region or listener mail um is from nicholas saying um well his quote is his post was kind of long so nick i'm just gonna cut it short are there any tv shows that were short-lived that you can't stop thinking about is essentially his question yeah i i guess it depends on your definition of short-lived i mean one show that i keep thinking about that i wish probably deserved a couple more seasons or a better ending is just game of thrones um, I think people are ubiquitously kind of outraged at the ending to the point that, that most people have sort of suppressed that the show even existed. Um, so I think giving it a couple more seasons to have played out in the right way would have been really nice. Yeah, it seems like once Game of Thrones kind of lost possession of source material, mm -hmm. it kind of just went struggled. off the rails. Yeah. Is um, there one that comes to mind for you? Um, like you said, it kind of depends on what we consider short-lived. Like if we're just going for like maybe a few episodes or just maybe just a season. Um, I, I definitely have I one. I know, I know you've seen this one, but I thought Fleabag was yeah. one that came to mind pretty immediately. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't like it got canceled or anything. It's just after two eight-episode seasons, um, narratively, it just came to a close. And I I really enjoyed the writing, and I thought Phoebe Waller-Bridge is just, like, hilarious, the, the dynamic of breaking down the fourth wall um, and then having other characters kind of iteratively being also breaking down that fourth wall. I, I just thought it was such an interesting show and uh, gone too soon for me. How long was heroes out for the uh the nbc show yeah with hayden panettiere right mm -hmm. if i'm remembering correctly i don't know but didn't they also reboot that recently and then that <laughs> the reboot ended uh, maybe that's 
I don't know. I remember watching Heroes. Well, I, I didn't watch it when it was live on TV, but I remember it might have been on Netflix or on some other streaming service. And mm-hmm. I was watching it and I was, and I was enjoying it. And I was like, oh, wait, there's only like 20 episodes of this show. Like, <laughs> right. Um, I guess I guess that one, Heroes, would be uh, would be mine. I guess I we just don't watch bad television, Nick. I'm, I don't know what to tell you. I guess that's what it is. Yeah, I'm sure some listeners have some that some that pop into their heads. Um, so if you have an opinion on shows that are gone too soon, again, you can always um, tweet at us, let us know. Um, but you know, everybody has one of those shows that I think they kind of latch onto. Right. Right. Yeah. But that's pretty much gonna wrap it up uh, for us this week. We. Um, Misha was was moving. We've kind of been doing some things in our in our personal lives. So sorry if we didn't have our normal scheduled release um, days. But we're gonna try to get back to that as soon as we can. Usually it's like a Sunday or Monday. So um, we're not too far off, I guess. Today we're recording on a Monday. Yeah, I'm definitely. You know, my situation's more solid now. I got my own little setup here at at the new house in Bernal Heights and. We'll, uh, we'll definitely be recording more regularly. Well, cool. So thanks again for listening. Um, don't forget to share, leave a review, whatever you want to do with that. Go ahead and do it. Again, send us messages on anchor.fm slash coastpodcast or on Twitter at C2C Podcasting. But until then, we will talk at you next week. See you then. Bye.